It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We've got some insight about why the Bengals made the decisions they made in the draft. We're going to talk about what was going on in the war room a little bit, and then we're going to have a high-level discussion about are the Bengals a better team in 2023? You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. I'm joined today by Joe Goodberry, at Joe Goodberry on Twitter. And we're going to get into another review of the Bengals draft today. And, and this time, the approach, the angle, the discussion is around what they were doing, why they didn't draft a tight end, why they didn't draft an offensive line, and some of those questions so you can get some insight into what was going on for the Bengals. We're also going to talk a little bit toward the end of the show about is the team better player acquisition, mostly finished. You can find this show on YouTube. You can find it anywhere you get your podcast. You can subscribe on those platforms. That'll make it easy for you to become an everyday listener and to make us your first listen every day. And Joe, let's dive into it. A lot of people pretty confused with that first round pick. Miles Murphy, of course, represents value, and I think people have largely come around to it, right? Premium position, consensus value is what I mean by value. Uh, we, we've talked about some of the issues with the profile on this podcast already. We can touch on those again if, if they're important, if we need to. But as you and I were talking leading up to the pick, we kind of had in our minds that it was going to be Michael Mayer. Now we turned out to have incorrect information and, and have since corrected that and understand why it was miles murphy but what was going on with the bengals at that pick as far as you know i know you have some some insight into what the bengals were considering yeah this is coming from a couple sources that both lined up pretty strongly so i feel comfortable in filling in some of the the gaps with uh with what i know and you know what i was told as well so as pick 20 came around you start to have an idea and a target list of what you want to do at that spot from what I understand, the highest one of the guys that were still available at that time was actually Anton Harrison, the tackle out of Oklahoma, which I, I don't know if we talked enough, actually. Teams did like Anton Harrison. It seemed like the Bengals had a first-round grade on him and would have taken him, and he went one pick ahead of the Bengals at 27 after the Jaguars and Bills swapped spots as the Bills went up and got Dalton Kincaid, Kincaid being one of the targets as well in that grouping. If you're wondering who the next corner was, obviously they didn't take Joey Porter Jr., they, it, but it would have been Deontay Banks, who also went in that grouping before the Bengals. And really it came down to, after that, who was left was Miles Murphy, Nolan Smith, and Brian Brzee. Three guys we have talked about, maybe not Nolan Smith enough because we thought maybe he was a little undersized. But yeah, they really weren't in on Mayer. And I thought this would have been the scenario. Maybe that's... what. That's part of our process, right? We try to fill in what we think the draft looks like, what the players probably grade out as, and where the value may be. 
So in this scenario, I think if I'd have played this scenario for anyone a hundred times in March and April, everyone would have said, oh, Michael Mayer. And I think a few people would have probably said Miles Murphy because the consensus had him ranked so high and premium position versus non-premium position. What I learned afterwards is it sounds like, and I'm filling in some here, putting two and two together to get 22 here, that Sam Laporta may have actually been over Michael Mayer, and that was someone they really liked and obviously never got a chance because he went very early in round two, and the Lions took Sam Laporta over Michael Mayer as well. So the Bengals weren't in on Mayer. They took the best player on the board, and they took him at a premium position. I can't fault them too much for doing that. And I know on Tuesday you tweeted about the idea that the Bengals didn't want to address tight end. There's been a lot of criticism, I think, about, you know, they they didn't prioritize offensive line. They didn't prioritize a tight end. What if somebody gets hurt? Now they're down to, you know, the same kind of depth they were down to last year when Hayden Hurst got hurt. But it wasn't necessarily that they weren't in on tight end. In fact, we have on pretty good authority, we know pretty well that the last couple of years, they wanted to draft a tight end. It just didn't work out. Yeah, that's right. So had Dalton Kincaid have been there, there's a scenario where they would have picked him. Now Murphy was higher, so they may have debated that and and decided while on the clock. But again, offensive line, we talked about Harrison. They could have made that pick if you know they decided to do so if he was still there. Uh, I do believe if Laporta was there at 60, they would have, he probably would have been really high on their board. And DJ Turner was also super high on the board too. So it would have been interesting to see how that would have played out. But after that, we saw a cliff kind of happen. We saw uh, Luke Schoonmaker go in round two. We saw uh, Brenton Strange, who I liked, but did not like in round two. He goes at the end of round two, right? So they never get another chance other than Darnell Washington, who it seems like they were not in on at all. So if you're mad that they didn't take Darnell Washington and took the trade back, well, we can get into the scenario of why they liked battle so much. But I want to finish on tight end. There was another opportunity where they did want a tight end. It was in the fourth round, but he came after Charlie Jones and even Chase Brown. So they like Josh Wiley for you UC fans out there. They would have made that pick had uh, Charlie Jones been selected and then probably even Chase Brown been selected, which he wasn't. And they got a bonus in the fifth. Right. And they could have drafted and I mentioned this earlier. They could have drafted both Browns. And maybe we'll talk about that when we talk about Jordan Battle. Uh, the moments before the Bengals picked, you and I, like I said, both thought that the pick was Michael Mayer because we thought it was between Harrison and Mayer at that point. Mm-hmm. And obviously it wasn't Mayer, but as, as we were leading into that pick, I was thinking, well, I would probably like that pick because our board was extremely high on Michael Mayer, the productivity profile really elevating him ahead of the rest of the class, despite the athleticism being what it was. And he's doing it from a young age, very early productivity, constant, consistent productivity at Notre Dame. What What's your grade difference? We did our grades yesterday. I don't know if you've done your grades anywhere, Joe, or if you've, or you're doing grades this year, but would you have liked a different pick? What would you have done at pick 28? Yeah, so I didn't like the scenario. If if you're telling me Mayer's not on the board, and first I, I said a month and a half ago that I was out on tight end at 28. I thought the, the the strength of the class would bear out. I was wrong about that as well because it didn't. It didn't hold off. Schoonmaker and and Strange, they, you know, the run happened a little bit too quickly. They all went in round two, which is again not value for those guys either. And in fact, looking at our sheet, tight end was one of one of the most overdrafted positions out of all of them for a non-premium position, probably of all the non-premium positions. Tight end was overdrafted based on our grades and our rankings. So, uh, yeah, the, if, if the Bengals were in agreement with with those scores, uh, 
they never saw the value either there. So I probably would have given Mayer a B plus had that have been the pick because I think he's such a clean and good prospect at a position of need. The only time, only reason I would knock it is because it's not a premium position. And I would like to play in that realm in the first two rounds if possible. Uh, I give Miles Murphy a C plus because I think the the holes in his profile are enough to give me concern or lead me to believe that he'll never be a 1A type elite edge rusher as a pass rusher. Yeah, I think he's better against the run. And I like young guys that are athletic, so I can always get down on that. But I just think his pass rush profile analytically and on tape are not well-rounded enough. It's not promising enough to spend a first-round pick on. But again, the difference maybe only have been 10 picks to where I would have been comfortable with Miles Murphy. So it's hard to fault them too much. So that's probably a one-letter grade difference. If you wanted a good pass rusher, edge rusher with a better profile, had they have taken Derek Hall, everyone would have killed them but I wouldn't. I actually would have said that would have been a good pick for that spot and would have given him a solid B. That's what's going to be interesting to watch as far as the the career development of those guys because we we were obviously very high on Derek Hall in terms of in terms of the sheet. Part of that has, is his athletic testing, a big part of that, the production for him, and that's what Miles Murphy was missing because if you give Miles Murphy the same amount of production that Derek Hall had – well, then they end up having the same exact rate mm-hmm. because they're very similar on tape, very similar athletically. So uh, big difference in those two guys' uh, pr- productivity. Even Felix Anaduke Uzama, who goes yes. to, to the Kansas City Chiefs, again, the productivity really elevating him. Same can be said for Isaiah Foskey, all of whom were higher for us than Miles Murphy. But again, a big part of that is productivity. And so – while some people see it as a low ceiling because he never hit those numbers in college, the the path is there. We'll probably talk with Mike about this a little bit later because I know he's dug in and into the JPP Jason Pierre Paul comparison. And you and I have talked a lot about the uh, Rashawn Gary in green Bay path. And those paths are there. And that's what's in miles Murphy's favor. He's 21, just over 21 years old has time to develop some of the things that are missing in his game. But there's more to say about this draft, Joe. More rounds to discuss as well. If you have any closing thoughts on Miles Murphy, we'll get to those in just a second too. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, if you're a new customer, you can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win, instead of sweating it out when some sort of NBA playoff game comes down to the wire, you're watching in the fourth quarter because that's all that really matters in the NBA, it seems, anymore. These games will have like 10-point swings, 15-point swings in the fourth quarter. It's crazy. Just sweat. If it's your first bet, you're going to get that insured. It's going to get back to you in bonus bets. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports book, visit fanduel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. Fanduel is the official sports betting partner of the NBA. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. 
Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Joe, any closing thoughts on Miles Murphy here quickly before we dive into day two of the draft? So people may question the productivity and because the, they'll see some compiled stats that look decent for Miles Murphy, but... I think one of the big things is pass rush win rate and true pass set win rate. Both are very, very low in this class. They're very low when looking at the last six or so draft classes. And it's not a good sign. One of the guys, though, that did work out for the Bengals is Sam Hubbard. He's one of the few guys that had a pass rush win rate that as low as Miles Murphy that became a, a, a steady player worthy enough of a second contract. But his Maybe a faster, more athletic Sam Hubbard worth the pick at 28? Could be, depending on how the rest of the draft and other edge rushers pan out behind him. Rashawn Gary is another one, though, right? I, yeah. I thought I had looked at this, and Rashawn Gary was very similar in terms of his his win rates. Yes, you're correct. There's a few guys. There's a bunch of guys. That, I'm thinking of the guys that worked out that they would know. I, I don't know how many Packers games people are watching recently. Well, Rashawn Gary has been right. really good lately. And the other one, like I mentioned, is is uh, Sands' comparison to Jason Pierre-Paul. But in 2021, 12 sacks, and I think a full season in 2021 for Gary. And then he missed some games in 2022, but still six sacks in a partial season. Think about if half he, the amount of time. If he ends up being Gary or JPP, he's completely worth the pick. I'm just trying to see if there's a middle ground, because we don't want him to be Clavon Chason, who also was very low, who did, just did not get his fifth-year option picked up. We want at least the Sam Hubbard, right? Of course, yeah. And the good news, I think, and then we can move off this pick. We don't need to spend too much time here, but it is a first-round pick. It's a really important draft pick. They always are. Uh, is that he was consistently graded really well against the run yes. with PFF. And you can see where he can use his physical gifts when you watch on tape to play the run at a high level. And you can see where that could easily develop and continue to be a strength in his game. And then the projection is truly the pass rushing part. He at times flashes some really good stuff in the pass rushing game. So if you can distill that, you can improve the consistency. You can improve the technique and the plan. These are things that if you've listened to this show the last couple of days, I've said a couple of times probably, then you can get a really good pass rusher. But, you know, maybe maybe not the, I don't know, Elite. Khalil Mack prime, right. you know, that kind of guy, but Trey Hendrickson ceiling, maybe that's I, I'm excited to see if he can carry that 275, maybe even 280. It looks like he played in the 275 range and kick him inside. I thought he did a lot of good work inside, and especially on stunts and twists and, and games. Uh, it could give them a real big boost that they honestly don't have. They kicked Joseph Asai in there last year. I thought he was too small and didn't look his best as when he was rushing from the edge. If Miles Murphy can do that right away, there's actually a path for him playing a, a decent amount. Yeah, and, and kind of turns on the NASCAR package, something that I briefly alluded to when they picked him, uh, putting him on the field along with Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, Joseph Osai, or Cam Sampler, whoever you want for, for the other guy, probably Joseph Osai. But if he can't kick inside, along with Sam Hubbard, I would think, or, or maybe Sam Hubbard standing up, as they like to do with him from time to time, moving him around a little bit, letting Osai and Trey Hendrickson rush from the edge, 
there, there's something there. He did play a lot of four eye, meaning mm-hmm. head over the inside shoulder of the tackle as well uh, at, at Clemson and a little bit of three tech in, in the, in the tape at Clemson. So certainly has a little bit of that versatility that Lou and Rimo talked about, but let's talk the Bengal second round pick. You said they're really high on this guy, Joe, like first round high, early second round high. What do you say? Yeah. It sounds like disaster scenario. First round high. Like Mm -hmm. he definitely wasn't in the one B where I think miles Murphy was in, but definitely probably on the back end of one C and then, which means like they're sitting there with 15 picks to go in round two. Like, all right, if, if Turner's there, he's the pick. If Turner's there, he's the pick. And it's rolling, it's rolling. Kind of how they felt about Cam Taylor Britt last year, and then they made the move to go get him. But there was a couple corners still left this year, and they're like, all right, Turner, we want Turner. And if not, they were prepared to go Jordan Battle. They didn't want to take Battle there because they didn't want to have to take a safety. Their feeling at safety was they could be okay if they don't make a pick, but, man, it just slapped them in the face with value in round three. So they, they ultimately did it, but the – they had a trade on the table and were prepared to take it if DJ Turner was not available at that spot. So they were interested in trading back in rounds two and three in order to recoup a pick later to eventually turn that into Brad Robbins. Yeah, it sounds like they were looking for that opportunity throughout the draft and eventually did find it. So really high on DJ Turner. What are your thoughts? Let's just quickly hit there. Would you have gone a different direction? I mean, the tight end run had happened. Yeah. The next handful of picks, I mean, Brenton Strange, Marvin Mims, Zach Pickens, Sidney Brown, Kendra Miller, Garrett Williams stand out as names. It's hard to imagine. I mean, this is a pick that got an A for me, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts there. It's hard to imagine them finding a better pick given what had happened before them in the second round, but maybe some people are – thinking they should have been more aggressive to trade up. What do you think? Yeah, maybe at the moment I was probably in the B-plus range, but when I saw some of the guys that we had above them on the spreadsheet not going to like the fourth round, guys like uh, Tommy Adebuere, well, then I'm not going to fault them. They were probably much lower, and we were probably off the rails a little bit on his grade. So in hindsight now, or with the you know as I can step away and look at it and see how the rest of the draft played out, it's an A for me as well. Uh, I think Turner's a lot of fun. He looks like Jonathan Joseph in terms of athleticism and agility and acceleration, just completely fluid, completely deliberate with every step, every foot, every foot plants and he explodes out of it. And he's got the high end long speed. I think his ball skills are good enough. Ball skills are good enough, but man, he's stumpy and he's small and his arms are short. Honestly, it looks like what a nickel corner is normally built like, and they're normally not that quick and fast. I wonder if eventually we may see him. If something happens with Mike Hilton, he goes down, you know, and maybe Jalen Davis isn't active. If you kick in Turner into that spot, if he's the first guy off the bench at any of the three corner spots, uh, and and I'd love to see him in that role because I, I think that's where you don't have, end up with size limitations. If he goes against a DK Metcalf or, or something at, you know, 180 pounds at most, but the length is a huge issue. I know we talked about Emmanuel Forbes a lot, but Forbes just completely dwarfs him in terms of length. Uh, otherwise, I do like Turner a whole lot for being a small guy, quick guy, agile guy. I think he's honestly could be really tremendous as a man corner, and I think he was actually good in zone as well. So uh, I like Turner a lot. I think he's eventually going to be a starter for sure. A lot of force and completions too. Not yeah. like an elite, elite number, but a pretty good number. Because he's on these guys, like every he makes things contested. Like you just wish he had a little bit more to get to Mm -hmm. the ball and maybe make a play on it. Maybe something a little bit reminiscent of Dax Hill there in terms of sticky man coverage, because Dax 
there's a lot of that on his college tape and even on his rookie season tape yeah going back to the preseason and some of the defensive snaps he did have i mean he's on hip pockets so yeah, dj turner I, adding that that one touchdown right dax Hill, that slant and he's like on the guy in the guy and the ball just you know mm-hmm. what are you gonna do what are you gonna do sometimes sometimes you can't guard it uh speed too right big athleticism theme first two picks adding speed and athleticism to multiple levels of this defense something that they didn't really do with their third round pick. So let's finish up with the third round pick. We'll talk about day three. We'll talk about whether the Bengals are better to finish the show here coming up next. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this off season, look no further than the locked on NFL scouting podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jordan Battle was prepared to be a trade-back second-round pick or early third-round pick, depending on how far back the Bengals were going to go at, in, in that second round, according to you, Joe Goodberry. The Bengals loved him. Does he yeah. get onto the field in year one, in your opinion? And what what is it? What, what was the sell? What was the selling point? I mean, it reads like he's Von Bell when you read about him. It does read like Von Bell a lot. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's probably why they loved him as much as they did. It sounds like they had a second-round grade on him. Uh, like I said, they were prepared to take him. The next safety or the next guy on the board would have been Sidney Brown. You alluded to that earlier. It could have been, ended up being both Brown brothers, which would have been really cool, I think. So cool. Didn't happen. Brown's a different player, though. He played a lot more strong safety slot, where I think in previous years it was strong safety slot for uh, battle, and then he moved to a more free safety role this year. He's experienced at all three spots for the, in all three roles that a safety has to play, which I actually thought his last year was better. So maybe he is more of a strong safety. Maybe that hurt him a little bit this past year, where the, the Alabama leaned into Brian uh, Branch being the the, the box uh, slot guy, and you know he ends up getting drafted over Battle. But I think also because Battle didn't test too well, you know I think that maybe knocked him down a half a round to maybe even a full round. Uh, this class in general at safety, I think was underdrafted completely. I I think that bears out on our spreadsheet as well. So you get value there. So the Bengals were willing to take him in round two, had a scenario have played out that way. And so when they get to round three and they're on the clock and the Chiefs call and say, hey, we'll just give you a a low six. I think they even lost the trade value a little bit on this, but they didn't care. They were like, all right. Depends on which chart you judge. It does. Correct. So they're like, okay, we'll take it because they like battle, but do we have to take a safety, right? They're thinking they were thinking similar to how we were. Now, the next corner, say they didn't get DJ Turner, so say it would have been battle. Next corner was Clark Phillips, we, who we probably didn't talk about enough. Another small I guy. About him. Did I you? Good. Him. So I think on our spreadsheet next year, we're going to like not hurt these guys with size and length, I think, as much. We know they're in on Forbes. We know they're in on DJ Turner and Clark Phillips. Like at this point, they don't care about length, right? So if had they've gone that direction, they so they trade back. And they say, okay, if he's still there, we'll take him. At this point, how do we deny a second-round guy still here at the very end of round three? And that's the scenario that played out, and they're extremely happy to branch. Honestly, he's got the most – if you combined – I looked at this today. If you combined college and NFL snaps and say it's all worth the same, 
Brian Branch has, or not Brian Branch, I'm sorry, Jordan Battle has played the most snaps of the entire safety room for the Bengals, other than like a Mike Thomas or so. I'm talking about the guys that could potentially start. I'm thinking Nick Scott, Dax Hill, Battle, and then even Tyson Anderson. I looked at uh, Hill having the least amount of snaps. Nick Scott didn't play much in college and then didn't play until the last year and a half in, in the NFL also. So there's a chance. I mean, he walks in as a veteran-type leader right away and has answers to the questions you need. And I could see him getting on the field very early for the Bengals. Yeah, I've said that as well. I, I've talked about him starting. Maybe that's a little too bullish given that they signed Nick Scott to start and play deep safety for them. And they drafted Dax Hill last year in the first round, and you expect him to be on the field full-time this year. So it probably is three safety stuff. He's probably off the bench first at both safety positions, at least I'm guessing, depending on what's going on with some of the other guys in that safety room. But what were your thoughts? Uh, on the third round pick, Joe, I like this pick well enough, but there were some guys that I thought could have represented additional value based on our valuations. Guys like Blake Freeland in the third round, I can I can get behind. I, I know you were very high on, mm-hmm. on Freeland. Adetamiwa uh, Adebore, I think. I, I'm very comfortable with that pick in the third round for sure, taking that bet. We, we talked a lot about him as well. Nick Saldaveri, if you if you want a different tackle from a relatively small school, and uh, obviously for me, Roshan Johnson. Yeah, I was going to say at him. this point is is a draft crush in mind. So what what did you think? Yeah, at the time, I was surprised with safety. I'm a lot a lot of the same reasons you were too, right? Like just I believe that they were happy with their position. I think they are they were happy with it. It just once you learn the backstory of they were just slapped in the face with value. How do you deny a guy that's a round two grade a guy? You can't. Plus, you recoup the pick to add Brad Robbins, who I think will only spend a second on punter. I think punter was a huge need, so you found a way to get a guy you like. I've got no problem with it. I think if Battle ends up playing, because I also think the role of Trey Flowers wasn't filled. Mm-hmm. Do, do I think that's Battle? No, maybe it's Dax Hill that comes yep. down and uses his length. And I know he's not as heavy as these other guys, but he definitely has the, the length you're looking for to cover a tight end. And you let Dax Hill do that because that's what he did in college anyways. I think that makes a lot of sense. You end up with Nick Scott and Battle as the two safeties. Uh, I would love to see that, actually. So maybe that's how he gets on the field early, and we'll see how it goes from there. I've got no problem with the pick. It's a solid B to me, I think the value of what you're supposed to draft based on the averages is around a 72 and a half graded player for a late third round pick. They got a guy that's a 74 and a half. That's great. You've got surplus value there. You took a better swing than what is normally projected for that spot. We're talking about our spreadsheet if you've looked at it. Um, so I'm completely cool with the first three rounds at that point. I know there's some defense film nerds out there that love Jordan Battle too. Deontay Lee. One of those guys uh, over the athletic. His uh, high end plays are all him reading, reacting, and jumping routes. And it's like, whew, if you like, if you like that type of thing, that's what he does. He like he knows what's happening and reacts before anyone. Could be some cover one Dax manned up on tight ends. Jordan Battle playing whole. Uh, Nick Scott playing deep this year. I would be actually surprised, I think, if we don't ever see that look from this team. Right. Given that they are going to have to play Travis Kelsey and Dalton Kincaid and... That's right. Dalton Kincaid and Dustin Knox together. Uh-huh. We won't talk about that. We'll, we'll save that for when they play. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for another time. Let's talk day three quickly, Joe. Any 
prevailing thoughts here. I mean, the sheet doesn't like Charlie Jones, but he's a heck of a lot of fun. The sheet obviously loves Chase Brown, uh, but that is largely off of his athletic profile, his productivity, really, really elevating him. And you, you mentioned the punter. We don't have to go too far into that, but some, some lottery ticket kind of picks there. And Andre Yossi Vash in, in the sixth round. And, I love this, and I, and I said it yesterday. I think the uh, oh, why am I blanking on his name? The wide receiver comparison you have for Charlie Jones, Bengal. Oh, the Jordan Shipley. Jordan Shipley, man, total yeah. blank. <laughs> Fast Jordan Shipley. You're right, but he was 25 year old. It's the only time they've really mm-hmm. broken the mold of what they normally draft. Right? They don't normally draft a strictly slot receiver that's older. And people are, may argue, well, Charlie Jones is more than that. Watch Bengals on the Brain this week. That's the show I do, and I broke down film with Charlie Jones. You'll see my issues with him as a boundary guy, but I think he's going to be tremendous as a slot. Uh, and actually talking with John Sheeran on Twitter, he helped me formulate the words that I was looking for. So his profile, it comes out really risky in our sheet. And that's based on historical data and evidence of if you're looking for a top two type receiver, you should be looking for someone that's younger, produced at a younger age, is bigger. Then it, you know, it was an early entrant, um, came out as a junior or if you kind of redshirt sophomore. All of these factors give you a much better chance of drafting a guy. And I, I've got data on it. It looks like you've got a 50-50 shot if they hit all those markers of finding a pro bowler. If you miss two of the three markers, you are down to like a 15% chance of finding a pro bowler if you don't hit any of them. The only guys that made Pro Bowls are return men, and Charlie Jones doesn't hit any of those. But are the Bengals looking for a Pro Bowler? No, they're probably not. They're looking for a slot, solid number three receiver. If you're keeping Chase and Higgins, Charlie Jones just has to be Hunter Renfro and Jordan Shipley had he not gotten injured, and these other guys that were in that bucket that have made it out and been productive players in the NFL. So I think he can be that. Plus, if he would have went to, I don't know, pick a random team, the the – the Zach Wilson Jets, I'd have said, oh, no, he's not going to make it, right? Like the, the profile's too stacked against him. He'll never see enough targets. He'll, he'll be buried on the depth chart. There's no clear role for him when the quarterback plays poor. Here, there actually may be a clear role for him with a quarterback that I think he's going to mesh with very well. He's extremely easy to read as a route runner. Hard to read as a defensive back because of how vertical and, and in line he is because he's a good athlete, actually. And then, but for a quarterback, that's... He doesn't have to do any crazy head fakes or moves to sell himself. He can just break in and out, and it's so easy for a quarterback to read that I think Burrow's going to absolutely love him, and uh, that gives him the best chance to succeed. So he's got a much higher chance of hitting that with the Bengals than he would if you to roll a random dice and put him with uh, Derek Carr and the Saints or Andy Dalton and the mm-hmm. Panthers, whatever, whoever you want to choose. Point being there is he's got a better chance with the Bengals, but – I love, love, love Chase Brown in the fifth round. If you say Roshan Johnson at end of the third or Chase Brown in the fifth, all of the values with Chase Brown in the fifth completely because he looks like Giovanni Bernard, and he is that 5'9 and some change, 205 to up to 210 type running back that uh, is quick, agile, can play in the passing game, has done enough in pass protection that I think he can do that. Everyone's always like, can he pass protect? Well, we don't know, and – we hope he can, and the idea is that he can develop it. I think the Bengals are hopeful that he can, and that'll be pretty much indicate how quickly he gets on the field. But I think he's a good player, and people are freaking out a little bit about, about the fumbles. One fumble per every 81 snaps, 81 touches, I should say. 
But if you look at Joe Mixon, it was once every 91. And some of the other guys they drafted, Travion Williams and Chris Evans, all within the same range of enough to be concerned that it's really the high numbers because he had 350 touches last year. Mm -hmm. And that's coming out of college because Mixon in the pros has been great with ball security. And Chase Brown even acknowledged it from what I saw in his his, uh, presser after he was drafted. He's got to work on ball security. He knows it. And he also... Just just on the note of pass blocking, we, we don't know yet, but tied for second in this class for pass blocking snaps in college in terms of just times he was asked to do it, tied with Sean Tucker behind only Muhammad Ibrahim from Minnesota. So should be a he, fun, complimentary player with Joe Mixon. And he scored decently well if you look at PFF. I mean, like the vast majority of the class scores terribly, and he gets like a 64, which is – you'll take that. Yeah. So are the Bengals a better team, Joe? What do you think? Gut feeling, you know, without thinking about it too hard, we know there's been a change at left tackle, a change at right tackle, most likely coming, a change at safety. Those are the big ones. A lot of continuity outside of those spots, depending on what's going on with Jadobe Abouzier, and they get some guys in the draft that could help them or provide quality depth. It's hard to get better, though, when you're in the AFC Championship game. What are your thoughts? It is. So the big loss is going to be the two safeties. But they have done a lot to mitigate that loss in terms of drafting a first rounder, a third rounder who they thought much higher of, signing a free agent veteran, um, and trading up also last year for Tyson Anderson. I mean, they have filled out that that depth chart pretty quickly in, in a calendar year to mitigate the losses of those two very, very good players. And I think it, it could, if everything works out, actually make them a little more dynamic. They may lose some of the communication. They may get a little more athletic. But you don't have a, a strict free safety, strong safety type that you had with Bates and Bell. And I know they rotated and interchanged and did everything with them. But even if you look at the snap count since 2020, I mean, Bates has taken 2,000 snaps at free safety or deep safety compared to Bell hitting 950 snaps at that same spot. So they did have to find roles for them, even if they were multiple. I think these guys that you have now have played everything and have, have experienced doing everything. And you can mix it up. It lets Luke cook just a little bit more on that back half that maybe they couldn't do before. And I think that's a good thing. So you may have some bumps there, but maybe they come out at the end of the year and these guys are clicking. It could be like the Chiefs secondary, how it took them 10 to 13 games, and all these young guys start really clicking towards the end. And they played good ball at the end of the year and helped them win the Super Bowl. So uh, let's hope for that scenario to play out. But that's probably the big loss. I thought their needs or their biggest holes going into the draft, and this is post-free agency, we've, we've talked since then and how we feel about that, going into the draft was I thought they could use more pass rush. There was too many times last year where the pass rush just was dead. There was nothing there. If Trey Hendrickson was wore out or hurting, it was just nothing happening. So you get a first-round pick, high-end athlete added to the mix that I think maybe could help inside. If that happens, then you really boost that as an overall unit. It's more depth at a premium position. I've got no issue there. I had concerns with Awuzie and how he'll bounce back. We've seen guys take a full year to a year and a half. Now you have insurance with a high second round or the second round pick that they had a high grade on. They obviously feel he could play and help out right away. If they strike the same goal they did with Cam Taylor-Britt, we're in great position at corner. So that leaves you with now what could they help? What could help the offense? I thought, think there was two things that plagued them throughout the year and in that final Chiefs game. One was when Tyler Boyd went down, nobody could get open. It was a really poor situation where you just looked like they couldn't throw to Trent Irwin, Trent Taylor, uh, Hayden Hurst, 
or even Samaj P. Ryan because he played most of that game. Now, if that's Chase Brown and Boyd goes down and it's Charlie Jones, depending, I mean, we're, we're looking at the high side. These guys could end up, we never hear from them again, right? That happens sometimes with picks, especially on day three. But if they are what they look like they are, you're immediately better. You're more athletic. You're more dynamic. You offer something a little bit more than the backups they were rolling out there last year. Because P. Ryan, we like him. But go back a couple years. And did anybody really care who P. Ryan was? Did anybody really care who Trenton or Irwin was? Did they ever look like they would provide anything other than replacement level play? At least now you've got a baseline athleticism with the replacements now that could provide more if, and it's something I'm coming around to, like we talked about Charlie Jones, if this is a perfect scenario being Burrow and everyone you plug in on defense under Anarumo seems to hit, and then everyone on offense around Burrow seems to make plays. If that's true and it's infallible, then man, Chase Brown and Charlie Jones will be upgrades there. So are they better? I think they're going to struggle a little bit with the secondary. It could be an issue early in the year. They could fix it by the end of the year. It's something to pay attention to, which could make them worse on defense. But on offense, I do think they're better. And I think there's a ceiling to the defense, like you like you alluded to, like early in the year, figuring it out, figuring out the communication in the back end without the two safeties they had that were really, really, really good at that by all accounts. Mm-hmm. Then you could see it coming a lot as the chemistry grows, as the guys get more comfortable in their roles, as there's more playing time. And, and the front seven is the same. So no changes there. And while there could have been a little bit more consistency with the pass rush, especially with Trey Hendrickson off the field, you feel pretty good about the front seven overall. I do. And and on the offensive side of the ball, you know, they could have gotten more dynamic at tight end. That's something mm-hmm. that you didn't mention. They didn't really improve there. So if Irv Smith stays healthy, great, because they did get more dynamic at tight end. If he doesn't stay healthy, then you're back to no Hayden Hurst games last year where your tight ends are not major parts of your offense. Yeah, I don't think we're done looking at tight end, right? Like, I think every time a player's cut or potentially traded, we're going to be looking at this like saying, look at the Hawkinson situation last year, the Vikings, you know, trade for him. I could see a scenario where we're sitting here at the trade deadline and Irv Smith's hurt again or because it's an, it's an often injured position as it is, number one. But I don't even like the number two if it's Drew Sample. That's just not good enough. We don't want to – we talked about the scenario where, you know, these options can't get open. I would at least like somebody a little bit better than that. That's why we wanted them to draft somebody. They've got a cheap deal on Irv Smith. So it's not like they love him or, or believe he can provide that instant – potential or, or production, I should say, right away either, or else he probably would have garnered more on the open market. So I think they're aware of the tight end situation. It'll be interesting how they manage it and if they're interested in picking anybody up as their cut or potential trade situation. BJ Hill trade. Yeah. Find find the trade. Lel Collins is healthy. He's he's worked through his knee. He's playing well. It's July. It's August. He's he's moving well. He's made it for a series in the final preseason game. I'm being very, very optimistic here. <laughs> I was going to uh, say Jackson Carmen. Sure. Jackson Carmen, maybe more realistically, because he might be able to actually play football in, in the, the summer. Jackson Carmen can play right tackle. He's earned the confidence of the coaches. He's doing things the right way, as Zach Taylor loves to say. Jonah Williams traded for starting tight end somewhere. Right, if Carmen's good enough that you could trade him, maybe you just trade Jonah. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. But I, I like that idea. I do think that trades, acquisitions off the waiver wire definitely in play at tight end because we know they wanted Foster Moreau. Yeah. 
And that probably would have not been a one-year deal. Right. That's my feeling about it anyway. Could be wrong. Maybe Foster Moreau gets healthy later this year too. That's true. Late season signing potentially. Who knows? Let's wrap up there, Joe. We'll dive more into this Bengals roster. Take a look at how some of these guys fit in. The athletic dynamic depth on the offensive side of the ball. The general improvements to depth all over the roster. Didn't talk a lot about Brad Robbins. I, I did allude to yesterday on the show a really good puncher analysis video and some good splits. So if you missed that, uh, the pre- and post-injury Brad Robbins splits, pretty pretty staggering splits there of how good he was before he got hurt. Looked like he wanted to jump in, Joe. Yeah, I was going to say I watched it because you tweeted that link out, so I think a lot of people may have watched that video. That was really, really interesting because I don't know anything about punting other than no. kick the ball, watch the ball fly type thing. That's right. I did want to mention, though, people, because I, I I probably spoke with a little bit of authority on things that people will question. I do have a subscriber option on my Twitter page, at Joe Goodberry. If you're wondering about this, I've elaborated even further, listed other players, and then did a, a podcast audio file of my own where I went in a little more depth, if you're curious. Yeah, sorry about that, Joe. meant to shout that out at the top of the show. Uh, so definitely – as I mentioned, at Joe Goodberry on Twitter for all of the great information that he has available to share with you. And you'll see him here from time to time. He's a, he's a friend of this show. He used to host this show I along didn't. with me once upon a time. But let's wrap up there, Joe. Appreciate the time as always. And like I said, we're going to take a look at this roster, how these guys fit in in the next couple of weeks. We might do some draft retrospective grading. We're three years in. On the what 2020 draft class now, right? Or 2021. Mm. How does math work? We'll no, you're, you're that correct. Out. All right. That's when you're supposed to drink great draft classes anyway, right? That's the borough class in my or no. See, now yeah. we're doing math. Okay, yes, it is yeah, borough. It's, it's three years into borough. <laughs> it's a borough class we're gonna take a look back at and give them an A plus again for that first round pick. But anyway, plenty of content coming here on locked on Bengals as we wrap up draft season. And again, Joe Goodberry at Joe Goodberry on Twitter until next time. Who day and have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 